everyone. My name is Christian, and welcome back to Throughline, the podcast where we try to find the concept in non-concept albums. I'm super excited about this one. This is one of my favorite albums, and it's such an interesting concept. But before I go and spoil the surprise, which technically was already spoiled if you saw the name of the episode, let me thank a few folks for creating the environment in which Throughline is able to exist. We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the home of the first HD podcast and the absolute best place to find dozens of music and entertainment related podcasts. So much variety that even the most discerning, the most hipster of you will be able to find something so truly niche you're surprised you've never thought of it. Second, this podcast literally would not exist were it not for the support and, well, existence of our parent podcast, Audio Judo. Hosted by Matthew and Kyle with engineering by the veritable Randy, who coincidentally does the audio engineering for Throughline as well, it's a wonderfully humorous and interesting historical deep dive into important albums throughout history, going track by track to give you a baseline to begin your musical discovery journey. And their 100th episode is next week. Next week! That's so soon! That's almost four years worth of episodes, and honestly, I'm not even sure they've ever missed a week. So go check them out wherever you podcast. Okay, are you ready? This week's episode covers an experimental alternative band that I've fallen in love with ever since hearing their single Lost It to Trying on my freshman college roommate's Spotify radio recommendation playlist and have since been cheering for a Best Original Score Oscar for their work on my, I guess now, favorite movie of all time, Everything Everywhere All at Once. This week's episode covers the one and only Sunlux and their 2015 album Bones. So right off the bat, this is a weird pick. Not because of Sunlux necessarily. They're a fairly recognized band, especially in the dance community, due to their peculiar use of rhythm. No, this is a weird pick because this is, as far as I can tell, by almost any metric, their lowest reviewed album of all time. Bones seems to aggregate at around a 65% or lower and is almost never talked about when their albums are mentioned. None of this album's songs are in their top listened on Spotify and the band even switched labels following its release. So what gives? Well, to be honest, this one's just my favorite. I've listened to it countless times and I know it pretty much by heart by this point. And moreover, I think it's underrated. This album was the first with a full band. The previous three just being the solo project of the lead singer and songwriter Ryan Lott. Seeing the introduction of Rafiq Badia and Ian Chang, the sound changed. It became thicker and faster, more fluid, and the songs changed more over time. This album, in my opinion, is the first time the band really felt and sounded like a band, rather than just a project. It did have some mild success in the charts, despite its reviews, however, reaching 14 on the Billboard Heatseekers chart and 10 on the Dance Electronic chart before seemingly fading into obscurity. I can't even really find any sales numbers for this one, but YouTube has probably close to 150,000 to 200,000 watches for the whole album. So that's something. Now, if you don't know who Sunlux is, I don't really blame you, but it's possible if you watch the Oscars in the coming weeks, you may soon learn who they are anyway. Anyway, Sunlux began, as we mentioned, as the solo project of Ryan Lott. He gradually built himself some cult success in 
until the release of their breakout hit Lanterns in 2013. This album saw them achieve a marked level of success, even ending up re-recording one of their songs with Lord substituting for lead vocals. Yes, that Lord. When Rafiq and Ian joined the band, it saw their continued success as songwriters, and even saw the band begin to find recognition outside of traditional band music, creating a soundtrack for the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, and recently, the Oscar-nominated and possible winner of Best Score for Everything Everywhere All at Once. They're described as having a bit of an eclectic sound, but mainly dwell in experimental music where they consistently build interesting tonal spaces that bend the limits of what is and isn't traditional rock and electronic music. They're most often characterized by frantic rhythmic patterns and peculiar melodic flourishes that punctuate the musical space, as well as the lead singer's really delicate and fragile singing that often feels like his voice could shatter in an instant. It's an ethereal listening experience in almost all regards, and as such is often used by dancers, especially due to its emotional complexity. They've released eight studio albums and have performed over 250 shows and are unlikely to stop anytime soon, despite not achieving anything other than indie level or cult hit sales or recognition. Maybe, hopefully, that will change someday, but no matter the case, they seem to continuously push the bounds of what they want to make. But enough of my rave reviews. I've definitely already shown that I'm a bit biased going into this breakdown, but funnily enough, I didn't really know what the album was about at all prior to this. So maybe I've uncovered something truly interesting despite my excitement. You'll just have to find out. Coming up on Throughline, finally finished a doing here and getting into this week's episode, covering one of my favorite albums and definitely a weird one. It's Sunlux's Bones. This album feels all at once massive and intimate, universal and timeless, but at the same time microcosmic and fleeting. The primordial soup of the opening track unleashes into the resounding chime of the first real song, an echoing sonic signal that evokes a feeling of, well, creation. Every sound on this album is soaked in texture that's always on a razor's edge from falling into incomprehensible and dissonant. It's a delicate balancing act between being unique and accessible, alien and familiar. Now, you've probably noticed that I'm being overly flowery with my description, even a bit saccharine. It's likely obvious, and I've probably already told you, that I'm a huge fan of this album, and its delightful exploration of weird sonic environments that aren't overwhelming or frustrating. But to defend myself a little bit, this expansive description in the beginning is actually in service of the meaning of the album. See, an important thing to know about many Throughline episodes is that a lot of the ideas idea behind the album, the story that's being told, is discovered over writing the first draft of the script. As I piece together elements from the story and stumble upon ideas, this exploration typically leads me to a final picture of the album. Often, I leave it in this explorative state for the most part, as it tends to evoke a feeling of co-discovery, as if the listener, you, is discovering the album at the same time as myself. But this one, this one is not one of the 
those situations. I had this idea for weeks prior to this episode, likely helped by my inherent and intimate knowledge on the songs and lyrics and album art, the whole package, for approaching eight years now. I even own merch from this very album. All of this to say that I already know the through line of the album, and it it's a doozy. So how about I just share it right now and we can get into the weeds on how I arrived at this point before pivoting and telling the whole story from beginning to end. The Through Line of Bones by Sunlux is an album that tells a creation story, specifically the Christian creation story from the birth of the universe through the casting out of Lucifer to the creation of Adam and Eve and their corruption and subsequent freedom and or ejection from the Garden of Eden. What? Okay, we've had some pretty bonkers theories in the past. An album about the apocalypse, kind of. An album about entering a flux state with your past self. An album about nature and nurture. A Christmas album about someone who lost a loved one. But this is definitely the most high concept. And of course, it came with one of the most esoteric bands I've covered here. So how did this theory come about? How can we prove that this theory has legs and can withstand our track? by track. Well, for me, it all started as I was listening through the album to research for this episode and came upon the song I Am The Others, the song that takes the exact center position on the album, and a lyrical idea struck me. Take a listen to the refrain. the only one? Where are the others? Obviously, this evokes a fairly isolating landscape, a cry of loneliness, but the ending line of this section is the real kicker. In a completely separate voice, a feminine voice, we hear the line, I am the others. If we look at the original biblical idea of Adam and Eve, it's commonly held in that faith that these two were the first humans and all other humans came from them. And as Eve would be the one to give birth to these first new ones, she effectively is the others. This didn't all collide into my mind at once, though. I'm no mastermind. I'm no T. Swift. Instead, my curiosity on the lyrical phrasing that moved from where are the others to I am the others led me to look back on earlier songs for other curious moments. And where I landed was the song we played right at the beginning of this breakdown that angelic chime of creation, the explosive start. Not only does this sound like something beginning, like the formation of something, especially with the driving industrial synth behind the first verse and all of the other constructive musical flourishes throughout, this song also has a very interesting lyrical concept. This moment changes everything. It's honestly a really weird turn of phrase because it sounds a lot like this moment changes everything, as in everything is changing in this moment. While this still kind of works for the idea, it's important to know that the actual lyric is this moment change is everything, 
as in everything is change in this moment, not everything is changing. Everything is literally nothing, merely potentiality, the prospect of something new, the idea of change. At the beginning of everything, the Big Bang, God's hand, what have you, all things were fundamental, merely the building blocks of things that eventually formed the stars, the galaxies, the planets, and us. The same line of thinking led me farther into the album to the track in the back half called Your Day Will Come. Now, this one is a bit more of a tenuous connection, but it is exactly the order that I came up with these thoughts. So you're getting more or less a behind the scenes look at how these theories come about. In this song, the chorus is primarily the repetition of the lines, your day will come. Your day will come. This is a fine motivational message in its own right, empowering someone to hold on to hope that their time in the sun is still due to happen, that they'll still experience that moment of completeness or accomplishment. But in the context of the song, it's paired with an additional line from deep inside you. Again, this could just be connected to the motivational aspect, but there is a particular aspect of Christian mythology that chimed like those ethereal bells in the halls of my memory. A certain peculiar trait of the beginning of mankind that has survived in my mind past my departure from the religion. In the origin story, God created Adam first from the dust of the earth. Then, to create his companion, Eve, he used one of Adam's ribs, an element of his body that comes from deep within. Like I said, this is tenuous, if not downright incorrect as I'll show later, but it does still provide tracks for the theory we've been concocting thus far. And from these clues, the full story began to emerge. The flow from creation to downfall, and I don't really think I even need to spend any more time trying to convince you that the clues are in place. So let's get into the track by track and explain how each one of these songs fits into the Christian creation story, and subsequently, what what thematic idea or theme or moral we can pull from its telling of such. Starting as always with the first track, the opener, the intro, breathe in. Close your eyes. Swallow the sun. I mean, like many intro tracks, it's hardly a song, but it does lay the groundwork for the lyrical and tonal ideas of the album. Genius, the lyrics website, even says as much. Literally, it introduces several important lyrical and melodic motifs revisited heavily throughout the album. But what are those motifs? Well, the most important is paralleling and reframing. This opener only has three lines of lyrics. Close your eyes, swallow the sun, we have only just begun. 
totally fine and esoteric on their own. As far as our theory goes, obviously this introduces a god as an all-powerful figure, capable of dreaming existence into existence, big enough to swallow a sun, beginning the world. The voice of the singer is even layered and textured to sound like multiple voices at once, even multiple genders or different alien effects, making the voice feel inhuman or other, like a god probably would. In the context of the story, this is the Big Bang, the starting point of the universe, filtered in this gaseous, void-like musical space that then explodes with the beginning of Changes Everything. But these lyrics don't just exist in this opening. They're also used as the beginning lyrics for Your Day Will Come. This is an essential part of the narrative being explored in this album, and we will see many lyrics be repeated across many different songs throughout our investigation. But for now, let's continue with the beginning of the universe and changes everything. As we've already talked before, this is the maelstrom, the period of time where the universe is in perpetual flux and everything is nothing but has the possibility of being anything. Pure creation and perfect change. The lead singer takes on the voice of God here, with a new pantheon of voices joining in chorus and backup, likely representing the new host of heaven, the angels, as they witness the birth of everything in full lockstep and support. Like many of the songs on this album, there are not many unique lyrics, but the repetition belies a deeper importance. Repetition in this instance can do a few different things. It can allow emphasis to layer on, securing the significance of a moment, or it can instead increase tension, hammering home uncertainty or confusion or even realization. The repetition is deliberate and orchestrated with musical flourish or emotional dynamic that build upon that repetition in new ways. And also, that repetition, tired of me saying it yet, can also be used to highlight musical phrases that dare to defy and be different. The beginning of this song is one such moment, and the introduction of an important lyrical motif, the idea of bones. Hey, that's the name of the album. The course of blood within your The course of blood within your veins. See the bones glow as they break free. This is surprisingly visceral imagery, and in the context of the song, kind of bizarre. This seems incredibly mortal for what we've been describing. And well, that's on purpose. There's a blurring happening here to make this unclear and tie humanity to these actions. We'll see more why later, but what this actually reads as in this moment is instead a description of the universe as a body its primordial stardust, the blood of the cosmos, and its bones, those foundations, the collapsing stars and planets that break free from the chaos and become whole. But not everything is hunky-dory in heaven, and so comes flight. Let's be anyone but us Trade this heavy cage of bones 
This is the fall of Satan, and perhaps, well, definitely a dramatized version. At first, this feels like a bit of a stretch, but if we look back on the end of Changes Everything, not everything feels right. Even the vocalist in this song sounds muted, like a dark reflection of the singer from the previous song. Many of the lyrics here mention either somebody trying to escape or someone who has committed a wrong they'd like to forget both fairly common reads of the Lucifer Fall story, an angel who is either punished by God for the most heinous crime, or an angel who disagreed with the nature of their creator's work, banished or escaped to hell. Lyrics like, what a noise we'll make, drowning out our mistakes, give hints toward the horrid roar of hell, while lyrics like, are we fixed or free, represent that doubtful pondering that may have gotten him punished in the first place. Curiously, then, if we are to read this story as the creation story, and this portion as the fall of Lucifer, the album is then taking a very sympathetic approach to the devil. We'll expand on this later, but more importantly here is the introduction of not just one repeated motif, but one motif repeated twice in two different ways. Flight, just one song after the introduction of Bones as a lyrical idea, mentions them twice. The opening lines of the song are, Let's be anyone but us tonight. Trade this heavy cage of bones for flight. This is a bit of a complicated image, considering it's traditionally believed that angels already have flight, and Lucifer having been an angel, it's likely to be believed that he also was capable. But that confusion actually highlights the metaphorical read of this more clearly, being something more akin to flight being an escape as we've discussed. The heavy cage of bones is the creation, that foundation of the universe and the rules imposed by God, and as such, his escape from that cage being a flight of sorts. It's only additionally fitting that it parallels the fall from grace, a cast out from heaven through the sky of existence, itself much like a flight. The second bones reference occurs at the end of the pre-chorus with the line, we shout until our bones break, we can't replace. Again, we're getting an entirely different use of the word, here instead denoting their personal foundation, their ties to God, a permanent departure that they'll never be able to undo. The devil has severed himself from grace and is now unsure, are we fixed or free? Is this now all I am, or am I now finally free to be more? This line repeats over and over until the song ends, punctuated by our first musical motif, one of musical violence. This is a screeching guitar, piercing and unnerving. For lack of a better term, it's violent. This is a sound that will carry over through the album as it twists and falls apart, the garden and world moving away from the plan and entering into disintegration or chaos. Or is it even that bad? Let's keep finding out. But before we do that, the concept of musical violence and the consistent talks of Bones as a running lyrical idea bring up an important conversation 
conversation, a key conversation. The album itself is called Bones, after all, and so maybe now it's a good idea to talk about the album art. It's stunning, one of my favorites, but it's inherently unnerving. It consists of three beams of light shining down in a bit of a pyramidal fashion, starting from the top middle and branching left, down, and right much like sun rays, or alternatively, a Jacob's Ladder. These lights are shrouded by a pink and red smoke, with some sickly yellow accents behind, and what appears to be a blood splatter across the bottom. The name of the band and album are nearly missable, buried in the smoke in white font. It's a brutal image, simultaneously beautiful and unsettling. It evokes a kind of religious iconography that seems corrupted in a way, exposed to a setting that it's supposed to be invoked against, but instead becomes swallowed by. This holy power here seems fragile and fallible, colored by the horror surrounding it. All in all, it seems to be playing toward this read of these dual falls from grace during the beginning of the universe and the world, dark events in what is supposed to be the brightest point in history. And it only seems to get worse in You Don't Know Me, the following song. This one is a weird one. It feels like it breaks the linear timeline a little bit, and as such seems to exist here without context. This, much like Changes Everything, is a song from the perspective of God. Again, this song has much of the same choral presence as that one, though here it is harshly distorted and minor. The most repeated lyric in the song is the eponymous You Don't Know Me, but the real clue into this song's nature is through the other lines, split every other with the title. You see my face in the stars, a reference to his otherworldliness. You write my name on your walls, a reference to to the religion. I feel you tracing my scars, a reference to the stigmata of Jesus. You drank your wine from my heart, communion. I see you down on your knees, prayer. Altogether, it's pretty clear that this song is from that creator's perspective. But it's strange that many of these lines reference events far past the creation of humanity, when in the timeline we've seen so far, that hasn't even happened yet. My best attempt at an explanation here stems from the fact that, in all generally recognized descriptions of God, he is described as an omnipotent and omnipresent deity. It's not a far stretch to assume that omnipresent, as in present everywhere, may also mean present in every time simultaneously. Scientists have already proven forward time travel, so it's not a huge leap to assume that the Christian God would be capable of witnessing all time at once. So in a response meant for Lucifer, following his rebellion and fall, it's not only possible, but likely, that he would reference the totality of human worship as a way to show the dissenter that any future plans are for naught, that his control is permanent and unbreakable. You don't know how truly powerful I am. Not at all. And to further this retaliation, as a final show of his power, he creates humanity in this time. Oh boy. 
boy, do things not go as planned here. This is an all-out brawl of a song. Obviously, the first few verses are all the creation. Now the wind, now the voice it carries. You are the one this time. The breath of a voice, the ability to speak, to shape words and create culture and define existence. This is the ultimate creation. But after a period of time, a new voice joins the fray. The main singer yelling out from somewhere else. And the song explodes in register. Dissent and distrust are screamed out. Hear the war inside you, sounding overture. An attempt to spoil the perfect creation. To introduce doubt. The devil has begun a battle. God attempts to foil the plans, calmly reinforcing the creation, joined by the legion of angels chanting support, but the devil screams out again, reinforcing his chaotic nature. We are the dead and dying, shouting overturn. Obviously, the piece is not capable of lasting here, and that dissonant guitar motif that we laid the groundwork for returns. The song is destroyed by this point, no longer capable of returning to the semi-calm from before, the powerful growth, all dissonant and disjointed from now on. The angels rally and chant, the devil shouts dissent again, and the song builds to a final moment where good and bad Whichever side is which is up to your discretion, a key feature that seems to be developing in the album here. The good and bad sing together, we are the ones this time. And a final surprising lyrical phrase makes a return, darkly and distorted. paradigm has shifted, everything is change again, and nothing will ever be the same. And so, humans are created, and now breathe first life and first thought in the following song, I Am The Others. exact middle point of the album. What's interesting here is that this is not just the introduction of Adam, but also the introduction to Eve. The song begins with just Adam, his first breaths in the world, a lyrical motif that will be carried from here, breathing in and out. He is given reassurance and grows comfortable in his skin, at this point seemingly giving the listener the belief that the cries of dissent from Lucifer seem to have failed, as he has the arms to sound the alarm, but he doesn't feel the need a mirror to a few of the lyrics to this time. He begins to question his existence, his loneliness, asking if he's the only one, to which a womanly voice answers, I am the others. As we've talked about before, this is a curious piece of dialogue because it introduces Eve as his earthly companion, but also as the vessel through which the rest of humanity will arrive. Literally, she is all the others. Now together, verse 2 uses we pronouns from now on, another hint to the existence of both at this point. But verse 2 also introduces the only other important element of this song. No reason to retreat. 
No, we don't dare breathe out. Adam, following Eve's repeated mantra of breathe in, breathe out in this verse, snaps at her, mentioning that they can't breathe out. They were given life by God, given that breath, and it would be antithetical to his worship to let that go, possibly in essence to die or suffer some sort of moral death. In a way, this could be abstracted out to the first ruminations of the original sin, the first doubt that Eve feels, and Adam's fear of retribution. But, as this is a set story, they can only fight that fate for so long, until the beginning of the fall occurs, and your day will come. Open your ears And tell me what you hear Now, originally, I thought this song was from the perspective of God telling his human creation to witness life for the first time, to tell me what you hear as a way of rejoicing in the creation. But on further examination, this appears to be the serpent, convincing Eve and ultimately Adam of trying the forbidden fruit of experiencing the knowledge of the universe, which explains why the beginning of the song echoes the beginning lines of the album. If God were experiencing all, swallowing the sun at the beginning, then trying the fruit of the Garden of Eden may invoke a similar feeling in Eve, her being granted the clarity of knowing God's wisdom, his experience, her being the progenitor of all the rest of humanity then takes on a new twist, as the devil ruminates that all of what is described as sin, now rests within her. Humanity's day is to come, as free or sinful as it may be. Then, as she finally begins to dwell in that understanding, a similar revelation is given to her as was given to Lucifer, as he tells her to open your ears, tell me what you hear, even growing to a fever pitch and shouting it, begging her to understand the truth of freedom and free will. And so the song climaxes and ends with a final close your eyes, likely the granting of the apple to Adam and the repeat of this awakening. But all will not be well, as the devil understands. Just as he was cast out of heaven for his revelation, so too will these brand new humans. So begins a period of anxious plotting and preparation, given a nervous, energetic drumline and conversation between newly created and anciently waiting in Undone. Now, just so you don't think I'm so far out of left field with this whole description so far, there's a few lyrics right in the beginning that point toward this read. Following their new introduction into the totality of experience, including lies and deceit, doubt and concern, Lucifer shows that he understands their confusion, saying knowingly that you think you're honest, but you have your doubts. You want to say it, but your mouth is shut. These are likely new experiences for them, and he understands them not being equipped to voice that. Finally, he caps off this first verse with the line, something is coming, but you won't know what. A reference to both the consequences 
consequences of their actions in the garden, as well as the rest of their lives dealing with the good and bad of free experience and emotion. A new voice breaks through, Adam's, asking this new figure who he is. And Lucifer responds with a, I don't have time to explain type line in the chorus of the song. Will you discover you can start again? You don't believe it, but you must. Your world will come undone. They will be booted from their life in the garden, and they will have to fend for themselves, but they will have the power to make something of that new life. The song grows in freneticism. The questions from Adam get longer and longer, louder to a climax with a final set of lines from Lucifer, or possibly Adam and Eve, as he leaves for the final time in the album. The two then on their own. We will not bury here the bones of our youth. If this is Lucifer, this is representing a new hope, a new belief that his initial rebellion paid off, that this freedom may lead to something in the future. Hope from the devil. Quite a strange thought. Now if it's Adam and Eve, then this is them accepting their new fate, the new version of the bones idea then representing a corpse, implying that they will not let this new path defeat them. But either way, for a brief moment, a small respite at the end of the song, the two are alone and left to sit with their thoughts, with their new insight, and have a moment of peace before the beginning of that change. So, they enter into new belief and a new understanding of life in White Lies. Literally, the opening lines of the song are a male and female singing together, We wake with bright eyes now, ours is a white lies town. This is all in reference to that new wisdom they've gained, a knowledge of their current situation and how much was hidden from them by their creator, how many lies about the human condition and possible attainable power they were told. Visions into the future of further religious persecution pervade the lyrics, referencing sacrificing firstborns or the tongues removed from heretical voices. And if anyone, anyone at all, was still doubting all of the hints and signs toward this being an Adam and Eve creation story, there's a literal line in the second pre-chorus that talks about what we swallow, that we receive, the fruits from that tree. It doesn't really get more obvious than that. There's one more curious line in verse 2 that I want to point out, however. They empty our lungs. Up until this point, it's been pretty clear that the breathe in was granting life, the beginning of creation, just as much as the first song in the album is called Breathe In. So here, clearly, we're beginning to see signs of retribution for their sin, the removal of that gift of life, emptying the lungs, a punishment just as easily taken as the gift was given. The war is on their doorstep. Everything has led to this moment, and so a climax must happen. And happen it does. The song nearly draws to an end. One final hit of the da-da-da-da. A moment of calm before the drums enter back in, and those hits slam down one final time, and a violin screeches out and distorts. The first war cry. 
then another, before all hell breaks loose. Rust out. Freedom, but at what cost? In the following song, Now I Want. The first glaringly obvious trait of this song is how it's a deep, resounding acoustic antithesis to Changes Everything. Rather than the ethereal chimes, this song is industrial and thudding. And the most surprising part of this song is that in the timeline, it occurs much, much, much later. This is no longer Adam and Eve. This is humanity as a whole, and that industrial thudding is largely what clues me into that thought. This is a bigger story now, one of a creation and its creator, one of something trying to find its own meaning and its creator wanting it to follow its guidelines. The opening lines have doubt running straight through them. Humanity sings that it's not sorry, but it can't let go of God as a construct. They're intrinsically connected, so the song is not a plea of defiance, but rather a wish for forgiveness and permission. Likely, this is meant to evoke a pre-Jesus time period, Old Testament where God was notoriously very likely to commit great atrocities for humanity's failings, such as flooding the whole world, or nuking entire cities, like Sodom and Gomorrah. The song's scathing line comes into full force here. Is this Am I better because I endure these punishments? Am I lesser for wishing to make my own way? The main crux of the song sings out, now I want to be free. But the confusion that went into baking humanity, right from its beginning in this time, is still present here, as lines that permeate the wishes for freedom instead ask the opposite. Don't believe me when I say, now I want to be free. And ultimately, I think it's time to describe what all of this is really about. Yes, the album is the story of a Christian creation myth. God creating the universe, the fall of Satan, the creation of humanity, and the seduction of them into the original sin, and they're cast out. But as we've been seeing throughout, there's been a bit of a sway to creating a persona for Lucifer as a complex, developed character, and God and his angels as impenetrable forces of nature that are clouding the judgment of Adam, Eve, and Lucifer, and shielding their eyes from the truth. What this seems to be saying is less of an indictment on religion, and more of a conversation about dogma and the human experience. Life is functionally a difficult thing to understand. We as humans are conflicted constantly, and it feels like our importance in the world seems wrapped up in things we can't understand. Wars between aspects of personality and psyche that we don't seem like we were even there for the creation of, or even have a snowball's chance in hell of wrapping our minds around. 
The power of a god is nothing we can comprehend, and it seems like attempts are poor facsimiles. We don't know him at all. But it can also feel like sometimes following our hearts and our feelings rather than our minds, or rather than the rules, can feel like sin, criminal, and taboo. Our very nature, our access to our thoughts, is tainted from the beginning, and experience gives new insight into those thoughts in ways that can feel illuminating in the worst ways. We look back on our mistakes with hindsight that makes us feel awful and dirty. How can we live to be worthwhile in the world, with ourselves, if it feels like all we do is make mistakes? But really, is there any other way to truly live than to experience? The good and the bad are what make it important. We are just complicated sacks of meat around skeletons. We are imperfect and impermanent. Our bones are rigid, but at the same time, they're merely foundations. That impermanence and imperfection implies a flexibility. We are capable of change, capable of being in flux and developing new experiences and exploring our environment in ways that we never thought possible before. We can love in new ways. We can view ourselves and our world in new light, and we can grow to emulate our creator in that way, if only a weird, deep, reverberating acoustic variation of it. And so, the album then comes to a close with the final song, Breathe Out. Take the light, shadows near from this room. It is the death of the album, the emptying of the lungs. But that death is merely the death of that moment, and the introduction into another, another breathe in. For as long as we live, we will go through cycles of death and rebirth, constant change that allows new experience and new possibility. It merely required us, at one point, to turn to our creator, maybe given a little bit of help along the way by the first dissenter, the agent of chaos, turn to our creator and say that we didn't want to be perfect. We didn't ask to be permanently set, and we are capable of change. Just as much as it is wonderful to live in the sun, sometimes we must also dwell in the shade. So take the light, shadows fear, from this room, and let us flail and fail and become better in time for it. Stick around after the break for a quick talk about the album. Christian here. Yes, it's still through line. You haven't been bamboozled, but where's the little sound thingy? Where's the conversation, the juicy dialogue? Don't worry, I have it queued up. My finger's hovering over the button, or, well, my cursor is ready to drag it in when I edit this together later. But before all of the conversing hullabaloo, I finally got a taste of every podcaster's greatest opportunity. A promo code. And also, I guess, the ability to talk about a product they're actually excited about. Or, well, it's both a service and a product. 
One of the biggest problems that I have with putting together this whole throughline package is knowing how to give the people what they want. Which musicians to cover, how funny I should be, if I should start a TikTok. But one thing that the people often want from a business or project or property they're passionate about is merch. And what better way to personalize your merch than with stickers? Sticker Mountain is an online experience that is dedicated to delivering you the best stickers and labels so that you can sell your products, grow your business, and focus on your passions. Simple interactive interfaces, competitive prices, and a support team that has the same passion and attention to detail as if they were right down the road from you come together into a package that's damn near impossible to beat. With tons of material options and bulk discounts on bigger orders, it's something that even I can't resist, and frankly, I'm a bit of an analysis nerd if you couldn't tell yet. Their color matching is a highlight and something they pride themselves on, and for good reason. At Sticker Mountain, you'll find everything you need to get the product labels, merch stickers, and more onto your booths, into your stores, and into the hands of your customers. And by listening to this podcast, you've unlocked a special reward. For a limited time, you can use the code THROUGHLINE2022, all lowercase, to get 10% off your next order at StickerMountain.com. Make the most of it. Stock up. I can personally attest to the quality and care that goes into each order, and I'm confident you'll be excited you look them up too. Go see what they have at StickerMountain.com and use the code THROUGHLINE2022 for that lovely, lovely discount. Now, for all y'all that stuck around, time to hit that funny little sound button. Hey everyone, welcome back to Throughline. We just got done doing the breakdown, and now I'm gonna go over some of the things that I found when doing some research for this album. There are actually quite a bit of reviews and interviews that are talking about what this album means and the themes that carry through to the listeners. And despite some of the reviews that I thought were probably gonna be pretty negative, it seems like people are able to find some measure of importance, some measure of something being said by the album. And I think that's pretty cool, especially considering this album and Sunlux as a whole traditionally do not write the lyrics for the album until the music is finished or nearly finished. There's a review with FBI Radio with some of the members of the band during around the time that Bones came out and Ryan Lott, in response to the intention behind Bones, specifically says that what happens when I make music a Sunlux, the lyrical content and the melody and sometimes even the harmonic structure come later in the process, which is the exact opposite of the traditional approach to songwriting. As such, the lyrical content of what emerges is not predetermined. I'm not setting out to tell a series of related stories, but rather the album just begins to kind of speak, and it's my job to listen and be receptive to any themes that are consistent with the sounds that I'm hearing. Which is really strange, because that's almost exactly what I do with this podcast. But it kind of goes to show that music itself, and one of the reasons for this podcast to exist at all, was can music tell a story on its own? And I'm a huge listener of soundtrack music, and soundtrack music typically doesn't have any lyrics, and yet it is capable of telling full entire stories. I do want to cover a soundtrack album at some point on this podcast, but I need to pick one that I've never seen the movie or know anything about it. But there's stories 
story being told just as much as a single painting can tell a story or a single look or a photograph. There is something incredibly large and universal and dense about art that allows us to see things that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been there. Even the writers of the music found meaning in the music when they were writing the lyrics. And through that, they were able to find their own reads into the album. Some of the concepts that they've mentioned include reinvention and the struggle for change and liberation. These are universal concepts. With Bones, there's a stronger connection to the physical body. There's more metaphorical content related to the human body. But it's important to me that my songs, if you can call them that, they don't have a particular meaning, which is also something that we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. Sometimes a poor idea for an artist to go ahead and just exclaim what they believe their music to be about because it robs the listener of the chance to find meaning in music that's important to them. One of the most important things about music and about art in general is that the abstraction of it, the complexity of it, allows us to put our own feelings into it and learn more about ourselves. Just as much as I've talked about recently how many of of these theories about these albums are actually reflections of me, reflections of my fears, of my interests, of my view of the world, and how they describe to me solutions or conversations about the things that I want to know more about and I want to know more about myself. So when they're asked questions about what the meaning of the album is, they don't typically answer in so many words. They were asked what the meaning of the album name Bones was and almost refused to answer. In that FBI radio interview, the closest thing that you were given to an answer was a conversation about how the band as a whole came together for the first time here. In retrospect, as I look back, it feels like the right title because of anything, the trio is new. Sunlux as a trio is a new thing, and this record is a foundation that we'll build on. And if Bones means only that, which it doesn't, if it means that, then I think that's enough. And that very quick line of which it doesn't is such an important aspect of creating art. The artist should know what the meaning of something is to them. But saying that, announcing that to the world, makes it difficult for others to find the thing that's important to them. And I think that that restraint is so hard to get right. And so you get reviewers that will point out aspects that speak to them. Things like saying Lot also also sings of grander ideas, from understanding our limitations in this world to more sensory and elemental forces that manipulate emotions, musing, or even a line that says Bones soundtracks those moments or days or months or years when it feels like something isn't right, and it becomes increasingly difficult to keep it all at arm's length. Because that's the emotion this album captures, that moment in between ignorance and action, when you know you should do something and you just might. And in a world right now where things seem to be a little bit worse for the wear, and it feels like maybe there are things that we could be doing, and maybe there are things that you could be doing to help make the world a better place, I think that this album is such a really good explanation of that idea. But also, listen to it for yourself. Find what things speak to you. This podcast has always been a jumping off point, and I want you to be 
be able to look at music in a way that gives you something more than you were expecting. And sometimes the best way to do that is to try music that you otherwise wouldn't have tried before and really listen and digest and look up the lyrics and look at the artwork and figure out what it says and what it means to you. And maybe you can also have a really fun time trying to decipher an album that seems to be about the Christian creation myth and then have a bunch of people listen to it. Either way, I hope that you gained a new appreciation for a band that you likely have not heard before. And with that, we're going to end this episode of Throughline. Please reach out on social media if you have comments, concerns, ideas for future episodes, or tell me what I did wrong, or tell me what I can do better, or tell me what you think was amazing, just so I can keep doing more of that. You can find me on basically all social media at AJ Throughline, and we are so grateful to be able to keep doing this, and we want to keep doing it in the future. But for now, that's all for this episode of Throughline with Sun Lux's Bones. And remember, there is no limit to how much you can change. There's always a way to be better, and we owe it to ourselves to try and fight for it as often for as long as we can. Thank you so much for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.